Tianakwe. My name is Will Appleby, and this is Animal Matters. On today's show, New Zealand meat producers have been pushing for butchers to reopen, potentially risking the success of the COVID-19 lockdown. We speak to Green MP Gareth Hughes about our animal welfare laws, regulations and enforcement, and his journey as New Zealand's first vegan Member of Parliament. And SAFE and the New Zealand Animal Law Association are heading to court and are seeking justice for pigs. Animal Matters is brought to you by SAFE for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation. We're here to open up for discussion the key issues facing animals. We'll go beyond the news cycle and dive into some of the complexities that surrounds the exploitation of animals. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron by heading to patreon.com forward slash animal matters. Pledges start at $5 a month. Patrons can unlock bonus content like monthly bonus episodes. They can also send in topics for us to discuss on future shows. While New Zealand's COVID lockdown entered the second week last week, meat producers began pushing for a reprieve on the lockdown rules for independent butchers. Since their service can be provided by supermarkets, butchers, bakers and fresh produce grocers are not considered essential services and must remain closed during the lockdown period. This has caused flow-on effects, and New Zealand Pork started a very public campaign in the media to get independent butchers back open. The problem as they saw it was since butchers had been forced to close, local sales of pig's meat had reduced by 40%, and wholesalers didn't have the freezer space to store the excess. They called it an animal welfare problem, because pig farms were going to become crowded with a surplus of pigs they had planned to send to the slaughter. Now obviously having cramped pig pens isn't an ideal situation, but if they really cared about the welfare of those pigs, they would have found a way to house them. But that's not what they wanted. They wanted to reopen their supply chain by having butchers reopen to the public, so they could continue the slaughter of their pigs. It goes without saying, this would have significantly reduced the effectiveness of the lockdown, and raise the risk of transmission of COVID-19, something we're all taking sacrifices to avoid. Next, it was federated farmers who began signalling they were concerned about animal welfare as well. They were worried that the new safety measures implemented as a result of the pandemic was causing a backlog at slaughterhouses, meaning there would be more sheep and cattle on farms for longer. As a result... The government came up with a compromise. Independent butchers would be allowed to reopen, but only to process animals for wholesale to supermarkets. They're not allowed to open for retail customers. New Zealand pork still aren't happy about this either, but the Prime Minister has remained firm on her government's decision. Probably the most brazen part of all of this is the so-called concern that these animal exploiting industries have for animal welfare. That's not the case at all. They want their supply chains to reopen so they can continue to operate, putting at risk the public's health. But the question still remains, what is being done about animal welfare during this pandemic? As SAFE understands it, the Ministry for Primary Industries is holding regular national meetings with animal welfare groups regarding COVID-19. 
However, the ministry has yet to announce their plans on how they will protect farmed animals during the pandemic. We've sought an update from MPI, but have yet to receive a response. There will be millions of animals across the country impacted by this pandemic, and the ministry needs to make a plan. Let's talk about pig welfare for a moment, though. Considering NSEG pork have found their concern for animal welfare, farrowing crates which are cages that can find mother pigs for up to three months a year while they nurse their babies, are still legal in New Zealand. About half of New Zealand's pig farms use fowling crates. These crates are so small that a mother pig can't turn around or properly nurse her baby piglets. This actually breaches the Animal Welfare Act 1999, which states that all animals should have, and I quote, the opportunity to display normal patterns of behaviour. It goes without saying that fowling crates do not give the opportunity to display normal behaviour when the mother pig cannot turn around or properly nurse her baby piglets. Now, the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee, also known as NAWAC, has stated on multiple occasions that the use of fowling crates does not meet the obligations of the Animal Welfare Act. NAWAC are the government's advisory committee, who make recommendations on our animal welfare codes and regulations. Despite this, fowling crates continue to be legal. So, SAFE and the New Zealand Animal Law Association have decided they're going to do something about it. They filed court proceedings against the Agriculture Minister and NAWAC at the Wellington High Court last year, and the court hearing has been set down for June 8th. By filing legal proceedings, SAFE and NZALA wish to compel NAWAC and the Minister to act lawfully, to improve their legal procedures and to adopt a more robust legal understanding. In short, this is about seeking justice for mother pigs. New Zealand has some of the best animal welfare laws in the world, but our practices and regulations are not in line with those laws. In 2018, SAFE submitted a petition to Parliament, signed by 112,000 Kiwis, asking for a ban on fowling crates. Those voices have not been heard. So the next step is to take legal action and end the use of fowling crates for good. This will actually be the first time the Animal Welfare Act will be tested in court. So the court hearing will be quite a historic moment. We'll keep you updated with the progress on these court proceedings. So make sure you subscribe to stay tuned. Today on the show, we are joined by Green MP Gareth Hughes. Gareth has been a member of Parliament for the Green Party since 2010 and is also the party's spokesperson on animal welfare. He previously worked for Greenpeace for nearly a decade on a number of successful campaigns and also did a stint on the Rainbow Warrior when he was sworn in as an MP, he was Parliament's youngest member at the time and is currently the longest-serving Green MP. Gareth, welcome to the show. Yeah, kia ora. Nice to chat. Yeah, absolutely. We're at the time of recording over two weeks into the lockdown period. Um, Gareth, how's, how's the experience been for you so far? Yeah, surreal. I mean, like many people, it's... I've never experienced it in my lifetime, you know, being stuck at home, only being able to walk locally. Um, on the plus side, I haven't hopped on a plane for a couple of weeks, which sadly is part of my job to get around the country. So I'm loving not being on a plane. But look, I've had family members lose their jobs. You know, there's a lot of people doing it rough. So I feel really fortunate that I'm in a beautiful part of the country in Otago. Um, 
my family's healthy, you know, we're fine, but a lot of people are doing it really tough. So my heart and thoughts go out to them. Yeah, totally. I mean, my heart goes out to those people as well. I mean, at SAFE, we're as busy as ever, really. Um, but there's a lot of people who aren't busy and there's a lot of people who are now out of work. Yeah, well, our parliamentary work's totally changed. So we're doing our select committees online. We're doing all of our meetings online. Parliament's adjourned for four weeks. So it won't actually be sitting. A whole new select committee's been established. So uh, it's it's simply unprecedented, and you know I'm pretty proud of how the country's pulling it together, and you know we can't forget animals at this time as well, which I know you acknowledge the work is safe at this time. So kicking things off, you went into you went into Parliament a vegetarian, and at the end of this term, you're you're leaving Parliament as a vegan, as I understand it as well. You're New Zealand's first vegan MP. What motivated you to adopt a vegan diet? Yeah, well, to be honest, it was just um, a gentle reminder, a challenge. And giving it a try. So I turned vegetarian when I was 18. You know, came from a real, uh, I guess, traditional family. So dad worked at the freezing works, meat and free veg for every meal. Uh, but got off to university, I turned vegetarian. I did try going vegan at that time. So that was the early 2000s. And, you know, there weren't that many vegan products on the market. And I, to be honest, found it quite a struggle. So I stayed veggie for quite a long time. And it wasn't until, guess it was last year, the Vegan Society contacted me and said, they're doing a three-week challenge where you're inviting people to try a vegan diet for three weeks. And I thought I'd give it a shot. Uh, and I found it really easy. Um, there are so much, many more products on the market at the moment. You know, vegan aiolis, vegan mayonnaise, vegan cheeses, uh, all the alternative proteins that are out there at the moment. So, yeah. For me, I just found it incredibly easy. And then there are so many more options at cafes or restaurants for vegans that I decided, well, it's pretty easy to stick at it. It was more in line with my values. And my wife joined me as well. I still haven't persuaded my kids, uh, still trying to get them across the line. But um, yeah, I, I feel so much better for it. So during your 10 years, well, maybe this will be your 11th year, will it, actually in Parliament? or Yeah, so at the September election where I'm retiring, it'll be about 10 and a half years. So um, after raising kids in this job, I've decided that you know I want to spend more quality time with them instead of travelling around the country so much. So that's why I'm retiring at this election. But um, I know we've got some great candidates coming through, so you'll still see a very strong animal's voice from the Green Party. Is there, is there anyone waiting in a wing, so to speak? You've been such a strong advocate um, and a great voice for animals um, in Parliament during your time and um, obviously within the Green Party holding the animal welfare portfolio. Are there people waiting in the wing, so to speak, to sort of pick up that banner? Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's, it hasn't been about me at all. You know, I'm only reflecting the policy developed by our members and I'm proud that we've got the strongest policy. And look, I've only worked in the portfolio for a little over two and a half years. Before that, Mojo Mathers did a great job for us. Before that, um, Sue Kedgley was a fantastic advocate. So, you know, we do have a strong track record. It'll be up to the next caucus and whoever's in it to decide who the, sport, uh, the portfolio spokespeople are. But uh, I don't know if I can say this publicly, but I know Chloe's gone vegan. So um, I think there's a lot of... Um, I think she'd be a wonderful uh, spokesperson if she takes it over. During your time, what are, the, what are some of the wins for animals that you're most proud of? Well, I guess first and foremost, it's just been a real privilege to be able to talk on their behalf. Obviously, they're you know sentient creatures, but they can't talk, they can't lay a legal complaint, they can't go to court. You know, so to be able to advocate on their behalf has been a real privilege. Probably the, the area of policy change I'm most proud actually happened under the previous government, which was banning shark finning. 
Now, most New Zealanders were shocked when they found out that New Zealand was still doing it as part of the billion-dollar international shark fin soup trade. Uh, we were actually in the first 15 globally for countries that were still chopping off shark fins. And we led a campaign. I helped build a coalition of uh, NGOs and scientists and experts, and we got the national government across the line. So that's something I'm most proud of. And as someone who's a keen scuba diver and sailor, you know, um, sharks are always in the back of your mind when you're underwater, and you do get a little bit anxious. Well, I know I do. But they're majestic creatures, and we shouldn't be treating them the way we are. Uh, you know, big shark species populations have declined 90%, including great whites. So that was a big change. The other big area over the last couple of years, we haven't won it yet, but I'm convinced we are going to win it, which is on rodeos. And what you've seen is such a marked change in public attitudes towards rodeos, in part because of the great work from groups like SAFE, um, the Rodeo Coalition, um, a huge number of groups involved up and down the country working really hard on it. You see the growth of the slow motion videography that's coming out of rodeos. Normally what happened at rodeos where the animals were in pain or suffering, it happened so fast that you couldn't actually see it occurring. But with the slow motion footage, you can see it. Um, and I think graphic and quite, for me, traumatizing detail. So I think that's been a real change. And, you know, sponsors have pulled out. Rodeos have actually shut up shop after decades of existence. The public support and mandate's really gone from it. Maywack has found that all activities that occur at rodeo, except for one, uh, have negative animal welfare impacts. So I think the momentum is really building. I'm disappointed we haven't got the government across the line for it. But I've been really proud to play a role in a wider movement, raising awareness of it. So prior to the, the 2017 election, the Labour Party made a number of promises to help animals, one of which was around banning some of the, the aspects of rodeo which were considered most cruel they also proposed a ban on colony cages and farrying crates unfortunately they haven't made any progress on those policies what what do you think's happened here yeah well i guess i see it as a bit of a game of two halves uh in the early days of the current labor-led government there was fantastic animal welfare work that had started under the minister mccafaiti you know we saw that groundbreaking hui where pretty much every group in the country you know did attend for part of it at least and we started that Kōrero nationally and there was an action plan that came out of that hui you know the minister was working on an independent commissioner for animals which was my key push at the time you know I think we need an independent voice for animals to advocate you know I'm a politician right and people are always going to say well you're, you're biased you're pushing your party's policies that's why I think it's important we had an independent expert like we have for children like we have for the environment you know like we have with the ombudsman to advocate for, for people in our community and so we saw really good work happen but once that portfolio that ministerial delegation was removed it's been a an area where there's been very little change you know damien o'connor the current minister of agriculture hasn't continued the work that had started under mecca i think that's disappointing but it highlights the importance of having that independent role to start with which was a minister for animal welfare someone who could put that first and foremost and develop work programs when you've only got a minister of agriculture i think that most of the attention has gone on that side of the equation not the animal welfare side and i suppose that's a bit of a paradox for that role as the agriculture minister his primary concern is going to be the the well-being of the agriculture industry and and its profits 
Also, as the MP for the West Coast, which is quite a rural area, he has a mandate to look after them. So it's kind of inevitable that animal welfare will be pushed aside for the agriculture minister and, and certainly the incumbent. Would that be your sort of take on it as well? Well, and, and he, you know, he, he has his head around the issues. He's worked on these areas uh, for an awful long time. You know, we have seen some positive changes. The regulations that he signed off, including uh, medical veterinary procedures, uh, tail docking, you know, that's been some positive. But I think, albeit quite small changes, not addressing those big systemic problems we face, you know, the literally millions of animals we factory farm in this country. You know, think of all the colony crates which still occur with those chickens confined in what is actually smaller spaces than the old battery cases uh, when you look at a per chicken ratio. So for me, it's a structural issue. And this is why we made quite a strong representation to the Prime Minister that there should be a Minister for Animal Welfare. You know, we weren't plugging for it for a green perspective, but just having a separate minister sends a strong signal and also gives a separation. And, you know, it has been, I think, a challenge when you're wearing multiple hats to prioritise one or the other. Sadly, I think many in the traditional farming sector see animal welfare as, as a cost or a burden. Actually, I think they should be viewing it as a a key part of the positioning of New Zealand agriculture that we you know, strive for the highest standards. And when you see international reports, which rank us way down the list, you know, I think 40th or approximately was one international survey I saw of New Zealand's animal welfare regime. You know, it shows we've got a lot of ground to make up. Was there, during some of those conversations to advocate for that Minister for Animal Welfare, has there has there been much enthusiasm from the government or much progress towards what's their sort of um, their response been? Yeah, well, I don't think I could really um, talk in detail about that. It's up to the Prime Minister. You know, she selects the cabinet positions alongside, you know, her caucus. So it was a decision for, for the Labour government. You know, we're only in confidence and supply with them. So um, all I can say, though, is that there has been a, a marked change in the, the work officially undertaken by government and also something we'll be continuing to push for. You know, I think it's a no-brainer that we should have a separate Minister for Animal Welfare. So in terms of what sort of steps you think the government needs to take to improve and protect animal welfare, obviously you've mentioned the Minister for Animal Welfare and potentially a Commissioner for Animals. What kind of, what other reforms do you think need to occur? Yeah, well, I guess at the highest level, right, we just need to align our rules, our law, the way we work as a country in line with our values. You know, consistently public opinion surveys show that Kiwis care about animals. You know, they care about their welfare. They want to have, you know, a high ethical standards. But our practice on the ground doesn't relate to that. I think that for me, there are sort of five key headlines for areas that we need to improve as a country. The first is that independent advocacy. So a commissioner for animals, like the Children's Commissioner or the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, someone independent who can push articulate their challenges and to be a public voice for them. We've seen it with the um, COVID crisis, you know, the expert role played by independent director of medical health, but also the prime minister's science advisor. I'd love to see someone in a similar role, respected gravitas and mana, a public platform to talk on behalf of animals. At the structural level, we need a separation of enforcement and promotion from agriculture and animal welfare. What I mean here is that MPI has a huge number of balls they've got in the air, they're constantly juggling. You know, their job 
first and foremost, I'd put it to you, is to promote agriculture and our exports overseas. You know, animal welfare maybe isn't the top of the priority list, whereas I think it should be. And if you had an independent entity, now there's a, a huge way, range you could structure it from a tribunal to a commission, which we have for other entities, through to a whole separate ministry. For me, though, what's important is you actually have a separate animal welfare ministry with its own internal work streams. The funding would be a lot more transparent what it receives. Now, we've seen a bit of a debate in New Zealand how much money increased or decreased has gone towards animal welfare. But what we can all agree on is it's pretty unclear to see when it's buried within a, a much larger entity like Ministry for Primary Industries. So an independent entity would provide more transparency. And the biggest issue, though, and I think this is what most Kiwis care about, is we just simply need to change our practices on farms uh, and households across New Zealand. And a key area I've worked on in Parliament has been uh, energy issues and trying to reduce fossil fuels from entering our atmosphere. A key change we made was when we took that decision to stop offshore oil and gas exploration was to put in place a support and a just transition package. This is exactly what we need for farmers. You know, um, I know a lot of farmers, you know, take pork farmers, you know, less than uh, around 50-50 are using farrowing crates. But I've talked to them and they've said, look, if we had some support to transition to other farming systems, you know, we, we would gladly do it. And I think this is what we need for our colony cages as well. So, you know, I think there is a role for the state to actually help farmers to transition away from unfair factory farming, anti-animal welfare systems. Some people might not like the idea of giving farmers, you know, money to do it, but look, if it speeds up the process and allows them to move to animal welfare friendly systems, you know, I'm all for it. And, you know, we're looking at big investments across infrastructure in New Zealand. I think actually improving our farming systems is a key one. And then, of course, you know, we've got the codes, but they don't align with the Act. So, I talked before about that survey that ranked us way down the list of other countries. When you look at our legislation, the Animal Welfare Act, that internationally is still one of the strongest out there because it recognises animals as sentient and has some very strong provisions. The problem is that animal welfare codes, for example, rodeos, weaken the act. And this is something which has been, you know, explored by the New Zealand Animal Law Association. You know, I understand SAFE's come out with the law, you know, information about farrowing crates lawsuit, our codes just don't align with the Act. So that's why I think we need to make sure they do, because what's the point of having such a strong Act if the codes are only going to provide a legal minimum and not actually live up to those high expectations? So, you know, everything from racing to greyhounds to rodeo, we've got to change because at the moment, you treat an animal like wrestle it to the ground uh, or wrap it around its neck with a rope and pull it off its feet while it's running at speed in a rodeo in front of an audience, that's entirely fine under our existing rules. Do that on a farm, though, or do it to a companion animal, you could be arrested and jailed. So there's no reason that there should be a separation. And then just lastly, I think we do have a problem with companion animals in New Zealand. You know, I've heard some absolute horror stories with backyard breeders for dogs and, and cats and other animals. And it's a unregulated cowboy sector and animals are treated in horrible conditions and then sold off on trade me or other bodies so we really need to modernize our companion animal regime so these are sort of the five areas about support accountability transparency uh 
independence and actually aligning the rules, the laws, the codes with our values and our high animal aspirations. Moving along to the environment and how agriculture plays a role in that regard, for example, animal agriculture is New Zealand's largest single contributor to our emissions. It's also the so-called backbone of our economy and deeply ingrained in the Kiwi psyche. How do we address this problem? It's clear that we need to transition to a low emissions economy and agriculture needs to play a role in that, though attempts to do so have been thwarted to a certain extent by the industry and quite successfully so. How do we transition to that low emissions economy without alienating large swathes of the population? Yeah, well, I guess what I would say is I totally agree with you. And, you know, you listed off some of the negative impacts, but then, you, you know, the fact we can't swim in two-thirds of our waterways is because of animal agriculture. You know, some of our high um, unhealthy conditions directly relate to our diets. So uh, from, from my mind, there's multiple win-win-wins from uh, value-added better economic performance uh, restoring and protecting our environment, our climate, our health. You know, there's so many reasons why we should be transitioning away. And I'm a, maybe a bit of a, an optimist. When you look at our history, you know, we were much, much more dependent on animal agriculture. Even 20 years ago, 40 years ago, we've become a much more diversified economy. I'm a bit of a geek and I'm you know, really stoked that the IT sector of our economy has grown massively. And actually, we saw the fastest growth of any developed world country with the IT percentage of our economy. And, you know, now that's our third biggest export earner. Um, so we've got other options, which mean we don't have to farm. The benefit, of course, is if we actually don't intensively farm our lands as much, there's more room for nature to thrive, you know, and to protect our threatened species. So we, we are seeing some progress. The fact that the government's got some big goals with around zero carbon means that farmers are going to have to act. The water cleanup rules are also another strong signal for farmers to not to farm the way we have in the past. And, you know, I would point out that, you know, there's a few um, retrograde farmers out there, um, but on the whole, they're, you know, forward thinking, they are adaptable. They've been through massive change over the last few decades. And unlike other countries where, take the European Union, where almost half the European Union budget goes on subsidies for farmers, we don't have that, so farmers are able to adapt to the signals. And when you look at the market trends, the, the big thing that just is a glaring um, light out there is the decline in demand across many countries for traditional proteins, both milks and meat. You know, we're seeing huge growth in alternative proteins, you know, lab-grown meats, you know, vegetable um, proteins, um, all the different types of milks that are out there. You know, this is the way consumers are, are going primarily for health and environmental and animal welfare reasons. So farmers, I think, need to position themselves into that space. I know when I questioned it a couple of years ago at an alternative proteins conference, there's very little research being undertaken in this area in New Zealand. I think some people have sort of their, their fingers in their ears and their hands over their eyes. They can see this giant wave breaking in the future, but they don't want to adapt. And I think we've got to get in front of it. So we've really got to uh, support it, beef up their research and development because consumers are changing. We've got to change the way we farm. Just the last thing I'd point out is that, you know, we've got a huge horticultural sector in New Zealand. You know, the latest figures are $6 billion uh, worth of economic activity in New Zealand. Our wine exports are nearly $2 billion a year. So agriculture doesn't have to be animal-based and actually those other sectors of our economy are doing really well. And 
you know, I've worked quite closely with the horticulture sector. One of their big challenges, though, is that our cities are sort of oozing over all of our prime horticultural lands. So the amount of space to do horticulture in New Zealand is shrinking, and particularly some of our what's called, you know, tier one or the, the highest quality soils in New Zealand. So we've really got to protect those soil growing areas because my vision of the future is us really going down the horticultural space rather than the declining um, ag- animal agriculture space. And uh, an analogy I often use is that the model we've used for the last 20 years has been sort of to cram more cows on our paddocks and farm them more intensively. And we're seeing this massive cost in our waterways. Likewise with tourism, which is facing a huge impact at the moment, the, the model has been, let's see as many people as we can cram into Queenstown and Fiordland as possible. And we've seen the impact on our, you know, our towns and our cities and our infrastructure. We've got to find a smarter way of doing it. And there's no limit to the amount of, you know, intellectual property. If we're coming up with some of these um, alternative protein solutions, we could be selling uh, those solutions around the world. That's where the, I believe the real money is. And when some of the biggest um, capital raisings since the dot-com bubble have been in the space, basically the market is putting their money where their mouth is and supporting alternative meats. That's the direction and that's where New Zealand should be going as well. It's interesting you mentioned um, the role that horticulture plays in our economy. You know, the industry is becoming a little bit of a lifeline during the, this pandemic. You know, people who have lost their jobs or whatever are being picked up by horticulture. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if many people know, but there's a single variety of kiwi fruit that earns us a billion dollars a year in exports every year. A single variety, you know, and we can, we've have been pioneers in this field before developing new varieties, you know, really pioneering some of these markets. And w- there's no limit to it, right? Because even in times of global recession and, you know, we are in um, a time as significant potentially economically as the Great Depression, where people are modelling 10, 20, 30% unemployment in the US, for example. But what we do know is that demand for fruits and vegetables actually don't decline in those conditions. So, you know, this is a real good market for New Zealand to really emphasise. But sadly, I think most of the attention when people think about agriculture is they think about, you know, farms with cows on them maybe some sheep this is actually i think the future so thinking towards the future for kiwis who are advocating for for policies that benefit animals what would your advice be to them especially coming into well possibly an election this year i don't know what um what will happen there uh, but what would your advice be to those for those kiwis who who would like to see change for animals this year yeah well um i guess my advice would be stay optimistic you know things are changing even though it feels slow you know we've seen a massive growth in vegetarianism veganism in new zealand and around the world these alternative products are really shaking up the market we are seeing changing behaviors and attitudes from our farming communities so look things are getting better not as fast as they should be but things are getting better and we are winning so let's keep it up i guess my advice would be is that what we know is that the issues we're talking about today are are so interconnected they're economic they're social they're environmental and the issues of animal agriculture you know, it is a climate change issue. It is a, a science issue. It is an environmental water quality issue. And the, the more that we can find those connections, I think the stronger our arguments will be. I know there's a really strong network of medical professionals that are passionately advocating from an evidence-based perspective the importance of plant-based diets and how much healthier they are. And as COVID has shown, the more pressure we put on our natural world, the more intensively we raise our animals, the greater the risk 
that a, a virus can jump species and cause such catastrophic impacts as we're seeing with COVID-19. So there's multiple reasons why we should be promoting you know, animal welfare and plant-based diets and joining those links. I mean, I turned vegetarian primarily for environmental reasons or 20 odd years ago. Uh, for lots of people, they've got their own different reasons and let's join those dots. The other advice I'd have is work together. There's so many great groups out there in New Zealand, from SAFE to NZAVS to HUHA to multiple groups that I couldn't constantly um, name through the direct animal action who are doing great work. What I know from my work in the environmental campaigns movement is we're stronger when we work together, uh, when we're coordinated, when we're organised, when we're a collective movement. So we've got lots of strength in our diversity, but there's also strength in working together. And I hope that groups can, particularly as we count down to the election, which is a crucial pivot point. One of my great regrets is that, that Mojo Mathers wasn't re-elected to Parliament. So when we were negotiating our confidence and supply agreement with Labour, we didn't actually have an animal welfare spokesperson at the time to make sure that was in the agreement that was negotiated to form the government. Even though I'm not standing, my key mission in this portfolio is making sure the Green Party's got strong policies. We'll take those issues to the negotiating table if we're in a privileged position to form a government again to make sure that we can get in black and white listed the changes we can deliver for animals so the election is a great opportunity for the wider movement to you know hold parties feet to the fire and people should hold the green party's feet to the fire as well and say you know are you going to continue advocating for animals what policies are you going to deliver so lobby the parties talk to your local politician make sure that all the parties have strong policies I think it'd be wonderful if we saw an arms race where parties are trying to compete who's got the strongest animal welfare policies. So, look, um, that's a challenge to Labour and National as well, you know. I'd welcome them trying to out-policy us because we'll just try and out-policy them too. You've been listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to Say Across Animal Matters on wherever your favourite platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. If you want to support the show, head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash animal matters. Until next time, kakite anoa.